In chapter 28, Isaiah describes the wickedness of the people. And we looked at this and considered it. They hate listening to God's word being proclaimed. They're full of drunkenness and they're putting their trust into other nations and their deliverance rather than putting it in the Almighty's hands. And now in chapter 29, and if there was an outline to give, it would be this. Uh, The first is we're going to see the outcome of the problem first. Uh, Isaiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to hear what the problem is. Isaiah 29, verses 9 through 16. And to finish, and we'll do a part two uh, on this. There's just so much to it. We'll have to do a part two, but the the conclusion of this is how the problem will be resolved. And in the end, we'll see and yet again understand just how awesome and gracious and generous our God is when he bestows his mercy upon his people. And that is so true for us as well. The first thing to consider uh, this evening is this, the outcome. Let's read verses one through eight. Woe to you, Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Add year to year, let feasts come around. Yet I will distress, Ariel. There shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel. I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound. I will raise siege works against you. You shall be brought down. You shall speak out of the ground. Your your speech shall be low out of the dust. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground and your speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of your foes shall be like fine dust and the multitude of the terrible ones like chaff that passes away. Yes, it shall be in an instant. Suddenly you will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. The multitudes of all nations who fight against Ariel, even all who fight against her and her fortress and distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams and he looks He eats, but he awakes and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams and looks and look, he drinks, but he awakes and indeed he is faint and his soul still craves. So the multitude of all the nations shall be who fight against Mount Zion. The first four verses describe this judgment that is going to occur against Jerusalem. And notice that Jerusalem is called Ariel. The Hebrew word means the altar hearth. It's interesting because what we see is uh, this is kind of a sarcastic tone. Jerusalem is the altar and they keep performing these feasts. They keep performing these sacrifices year after year. And it brings up this question, how acceptable were those feasts? How acceptable were those sacrifices that they continue to perform year after year? Was God pleased? This distress and this judgment are falling on this city, a city that he loves. 
God is going to encircle it. He's going to besiege it. The city is going to come under attack and be surrounded. And this proud nation will be brought low. But verses five and eight describe the city surrounded and about to be under attack and the multitude of the foes then become small like dust and passing chaff. Those who are going to fight against Jerusalem will suddenly be nothing like a dream or vision in the night. God will come as the Lord uh, of God will come as the Lord of armies against these foes and it is going to look hopeless and it's going to look devastating but it will be more like a bad dream see They'll wake up and it'll all be over. It'll be gone. Jerusalem is going to be under attack and then suddenly it'll end. The enemies that thought that they would have their fill will end up empty-handed. You see it in verse 8. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams and he looks, he eats, but he awakes and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams or and looks and look, he drinks, but he awakes and indeed he is faint and his soul still craves. So the multitude of all the nations shall be who fight against Mount Zion. What we see is God trying to wake his people up by prophesying a future event that's not too far away. In Isaiah chapter 36, in Isaiah chapter 37, we are going to see this prophecy take place and we're going to see God show up and God is about to show out just like he always does. But he's prophesying about a future event against the nation of Israel, showing what the enemy is going to do and how God will provide protection. Sound familiar? (laughs) How many prophecies do we see that have been fulfilled in the Bible? How many times, how many more times do we need to hear something be fulfilled before we know that God is almighty and this word is inspired? Amen? It's all an effort by God. You know, and I was just talking about it back here and God is the almighty and he's so powerful and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But what we see in this moment, we see the heart of God. We see his consideration for his people. He's taking everything. He's going all out to show these people just how much he loves them and how do they react This prophecy is about the future event of Assyria surrounding Jerusalem. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, as I said, and 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 32 through 36 talk about this. And we'll talk about it more in depth later as we get to there. But the story of Assyria surrounding Jerusalem and the angel of the Lord does something very incredible. He takes care of 185,000 soldiers. What about that? In a night. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem do nothing. 
It's the graciousness of God. It's the mercy. It's the love and the protection that we see from God. But why is this all happening? Why is this judgment coming upon them? What are the people doing that God, uh, that allows God to allow this severe distress or this judgment to come upon them at this time? What's the problem? Look at verses 9 through 16, and this is where we'll stop for the evening as far as our reading goes. But look at verse 9. It says, pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophet's. And he has covered your heads, namely the seers. You know, we see this concept, uh, Isaiah chapter 29 uh, in verse 10. We see this concept in Thessalonians. We see this concept in Romans, early on in Romans 1. We see it again in Romans chapter 11. We see this concept of the Lord uh, having, uh, pouring out this spirit or this strong delusion, as it says in Thessalonians. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. But look at verse 10. It says, for the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. And he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate saying, read this please. And he says, I'm not literate. Therefore the Lord said, and as much as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, does that sound familiar? In as much as these people, they draw near with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Verse 14, he says, therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. And we'll stop there for now. The problem is that these people are blind. Have you ever seen a blind person walk around? Have you ever seen a blind person do things? It's difficult, isn't it? You know, they got the stick and they've got to figure out they may have a dog that helps them, but the difficulty that, yeah, they can get around and yeah, they can do things, but wouldn't you think that it would be hard to get around if you were blind? Just close your eyes and try and walk out of here tonight. Get to your car and get in. These people were blind. Isaiah says this, shock yourselves in verse nine. He says, shock yourselves and be shocked. Or he says, pause and think about this for a minute. You've blinded yourselves, Israel. Isaiah says that they want to be blind. And that's the problem. And see, that's astonishing to me. That's astonishing to us. If you had the choice to be blind or to see, what would you pick? Would anybody in here, in their right mind, say, I pick to be blind? No. But they pick that. 
Is this true? Is it astonishing? Is it appalling to us as well when we think about spiritual matters? Would we not want to see? Who would want to remain in the dark? Consider this, humanity does. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19? He said, this is the condemnation. This is the problem that humanity has. Oh, this application gets real close to us. Yeah, we may say that this is far away from me, Matt. This is 700 years from where uh, even Jesus comes around. And then we got 2,000 more years to go, bro. You, you way off from where I'm at in 2020. Okay, we'll see. Jesus said, here's the condemnation for the world. That light has come into it and men love darkness rather than light. And why is that? Because their deeds were evil. We love the darkness. See, if you don't really know what I'm doing, then I can act like I'm doing good stuff. See, I can put my mask on and you won't really even know what's happening behind the scenes. We've blinded ourselves and we don't want to see the light it truly is an astonishing thing. Rather than seeing, rather than knowing, rather than comprehending, rather than understanding what the truth is, we would rather remain in the darkness, not knowing, not seeing, not comprehending, but simply living a delusion. Man. They were staggering and behaving foolishly, but not because they were drunk, because they walked in darkness. See, the Lord had contributed to this. The Lord is described as pouring out on them the spirit of deep sleep, right? God has given them the urge to sleep by withholding prophets and seers. If you want to walk in darkness, here you go. Then walk in darkness. If you want to be blind, then stay blind. See, I'm about to do something incredible if you'll watch and see, but they didn't care. The question is, do we? See, God has sent them the word by the prophets only for the people to reject them and cause them to be blind further. Why would God wanna send more prophets? Does he? Absolutely. But you've rejected the word of the Lord, so you've chosen your path. Let's see how it goes, right? Verses 11 and 12, look at this illustration. Really get this. He says, the whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is uh, literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. It's like giving a person a Bible. Hey, man, here's a Bible. And saying, why don't you check it out? Here's a Bible, man. Why don't you check it out? And you know what their response back is? <laughs> I can't look at it because the book is closed. How silly does that sound? 
Does that even sound silly? That sounded silly to me. If I handed somebody a book and said, hey, man, why don't you check it out? And they say, no, I can't check it out because the book's closed. Well, open the thing up. Here, you want me to open it for you? But look at what he goes on to say. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I'm not literate. The one who can't read doesn't bother to learn how to so they can learn the message of God. The people are indifferent. I looked this word up and I'm proud of myself, y'all. I know what that word means. These people were indifferent. They could care less about God's word. They were lazy and they were disinterested. Whatever. But verse 13 really is the kicker of the story. He says, therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. The people are acting like they care. Oh, this gets into hypocrite talk real good. They draw near to God with their mouths and they honor them, uh, him with their lips. They say the right things. Their words suggest that they're not lazy toward God, but their hearts show otherwise. See, this is the condemnation that Jesus was talking about. This is the real struggle and something that we need to pay careful attention to that we don't get drawn and sucked into this same attitude. It happened then, it happened in Jesus's day. The question is, is it happening right now? They don't want to put forth the effort to know what God really says and who he is and why he really loves us so much and why he wants us to study his word as we talked about this morning. So what do they know? How do they know what to do? The end of the verse says, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Huh. Sound familiar? Isn't that what's happening in Jesus's day? The Pharisees? Isn't that what's happening in the religious world today? How many churches are there around on the street corners? And where did you get that? And where did you get this? And how do you do this? And why do you do that? Because this is just what we've always done. Their fear of God was from the commandments taught by men. Their fear of the Lord and their worship was based on what men had taught them to do. They don't give all their effort to seek him. See, it's just a habit. See, it's just a ritual. See, it's just doing what I've been told to do. You want to know what it is? It's literally checking all the boxes. That's what's happening. I checked all my boxes this week. I'm good to go. See, I checked all my boxes this week. There was no passion, though. There was no desire. They were lazy. They could care less about the things of God. 
Jesus quoted this text and made the same application to the religious leaders. He condemns them for going through the motion, keeping their rules and knowing their own commands, but not caring or having any passion for pursuing the words of God. Matthew chapter 15, verses one through 14. Mark chapter seven, verses one through 13. There are so many points that God is trying to teach us in this prophecy and in the way Jesus applied this prophecy. But let's just consider three and the lesson will be yours. The first one is this. Do we seek to know God? Really? I know the fountainhead kids say that we should be seeking God, but are we really seeking to know God or just uh, receive what others have told us about God? Is that good enough? The people were unwilling to learn the ways of God. And this is the trigger that turns, listen to this. This is the trigger that turns an enjoyable, exciting relationship with our Lord into a boring, ritualistic religion that has no meaning or power. I ain't talking about doing crazy stuff. I ain't talking about having guitars and all that. I'm not talking about any of that. But what I'm talking about is, are we enjoying being a Christian? See, my purpose as an evangelist is to preach the gospel, amen? Is to proclaim the good word to people. But see, it's not merely to give information about God's word so you guys can just follow the rules. Oh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus says, the words that I said are going to be the ones that judge you in the end. Oh, absolutely. But preaching and teaching is to show you the glory of God through his word so that you will want to know God for yourself and follow him for yourself. If my teaching is all you receive from the scripture then you've not tasted that the Lord is good and worth your time and effort. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Is it too much work? Is it too much work? Or are we like these guys in Isaiah 29? Is it too much work for us to be able to go home and do this right here? Open the Bible. Is it too much? The people were lazy towards God. Is that how we've become? The second thing to consider is this. Notice the outcome of not seeking to truly know God through his word. They blinded themselves. This should have been something that they were eager to hear. And later on, when Isaiah 36 and 37 play out, they see that this prophecy that he talks about early on, it comes true. It really happens. How would you feel if a hundred, if there was all these soldiers around this city that you were living in, and then you woke up the next day and they were all gone and there was all kinds of people that was dead. 
and you didn't do anything. That'd be astonishing, wouldn't it? What happens is we keep ourselves from walking in the light and knowing the truth and perhaps the most important thing from knowing the glory of God when we don't seek him and we don't seek his word. We're missing out on experiencing an unbelievably deep relationship with him. We're missing it. What a glorious day to wake up and give praises to the Lord. What a glorious afternoon to give praises to the Lord. What a glorious evening it's been to say glory, hallelujah, praise Jehovah for the great things that you've done in my life. How blessed are we, brethren? What do we pull up in? Huh? What are we going to drive home in? I got a nice suit on. I got some nice shoes on. I got some nice beeswax that I put in my hair. It costs $18, right? <laughs> Brethren, I cannot express to you the joy and the strength that I get from spending time in God's word and praying with him. Huh? How about that? Seeing the glory of God will absolutely change your life if you open your eyes. See, but this is the method which God operates. If I can get it to click. Jesus, he would tell parables. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 real quick and we're just about done. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you considering this with me. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 13, the Bible says this, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says... Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of these people have grown dull. Brethren, the question for this evening is, have our hearts grown dull? Their ears are hard of hearing. Have our ears become hard of hearing? And their ears they have closed, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That's the whole purpose of what God wants to do. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you better. He wants to make you amazing. He revealed himself in such a way to cause people to seek after him to learn about him, and to explore the depths of his glory. See, that's what changes us, amen? Understanding the Lord and his will. God's people in the days of Isaiah would not give the effort to seek the greatness of God. Neither did the religious people in the time of Jesus. And I asked it before, and I want to ask it again. The question then becomes, has this problem hit the children of God today? I want you to focus in on Isaiah chapter 29, verses 15 and 16. And I want you to just consider yourself. Is this you? 
Isaiah said, woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who sees us? And who knows us? Surely you have things turned around if you have this attitude. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? See, when we pretend like we are God, it's a problem. Because see, we're the clay. See, is this our mind? Surely you have things turned around if it is because the potter uh, is not the clay and the clay is not the potter, right? But does the clay turn around and say, he didn't make me? Well, yeah, he did because he's the potter. He's the one who, who designed you and made you because he cared so much about you. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. Or shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, he don't get me. See, God don't get me. He don't understand the problems I got. He don't understand the tough things that I got. Oh, yeah, he does. He says, I love you and I want to be with you. And I want to give you rest. And I know you may be weary and I know you may be struggling and I know you may have a hard situation in your life going, but I want to be there to help you with this. Will you let me? Will you let my words guide you and direct you? Brethren, the question becomes this. Has this problem of being blind hit the children of God today? Maybe you're here today and you are struggling. I, I hope that we can help you. We can pray with you. Maybe you're here and you need to obey the gospel. Do it tonight. Render obedience to him. Become his child. Have your sins forgiven. Ananias told Saul, God has big plans for you, man. What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Brethren, be strong. Be courageous this week. Don't let Satan steal your joy. Don't be ashamed of who you serve. You're an ambassador. You're a representative of the king. Don't ever forget it. He's worthy to be praised. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Whatever you need, please come right now. Together we stand and sing.